Hello, and welcome to the Crypto Masters Podcast, helping the general public to master an understanding of crypto assets. My name is Brian McCoy. And my name is Ross Eaton. And we are the, the Crypto, Crypto Masters. Masters. We're going to get started. Our goal is to provide information about crypto assets to help the public make investment decisions in the crypto space. We don't try to predict short-term price movements, so this show is not for short-term traders. You know, we're trying to provide information about different crypto assets to allow, you know, you, the listener, to make your own investment decisions. We're not giving any financial advice here. And our plan going forward in the podcast is to discuss one or two or or who knows, maybe more, but uh, mainly focus on one or two uh, crypto assets, which are, uh, uh, you know, some of the altcoins, um, and we will just address a different one on different shows. Um, but first, I think let's give our listeners a brief summary of our backgrounds, because we bring different experiences and skill sets into the crypto world. My background is in law, and also as a hedge fund manager. I have co-managed a Frontiers Markets hedge fund for about 20 years. So my background in investing is really in equities. And uh, I have a computer science degree. I've been in the uh, industry for about five years now. I've worked as uh, you know, everything from technical support to programmer, application developer, and now I'm a data analyst. So I bring uh, the nerdier technical side to things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're a little bit different uh, age groups here as well. I'm in my 50s. Ross is in his 20s, so we've got uh, the, the different points of view that comes with the different ages as well. I know the hip young lingo. <laughs> That's right. All right. You can, you can inform everybody of that. All right. So with our big different backgrounds and skill sets, we hope that with combination of our knowledge bases, we can provide some useful information. This is our first show, so we have to start at the beginning with the foundation of crypto assets. So we're going to start, of course... Bitcoin. 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 <laughs> yep, and then our, of course, our next logical one to dive into is Ethereum, and we think, you know, we'll tackle that on the next episode, but yeah. we think those are the two big players here that you can kind of build a good knowledge foundation around, I if you will. I think that's the foundation for all of our subsequent shows when we focus on other uh, altcoins. Um, so this is the, you, you, you got to start at the beginning and the beginning is, uh, is Bitcoin. So, oh, yeah. you know, we got a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover here, Ross. So let's, let's jump in. And just so that everyone let's knows, because of the time constraints and, and the, the volume of, uh, of information relating to Bitcoin, we can't possibly cover all of the information. Um, everyone, you know, it's out there on, on the internet and, and, other sources you can find out what you need to know we're going to try to cover the important aspects to inform your investment decisions so let's jump in to bitcoin bitcoin well ross you want me to get started i can get started with some background and then you can jump in when we get to the more technical aspects yeah give us the history of wise brian well i'm going to give a brief history but i will say the history of, of bitcoin is truly fascinating it started in about November of 2008 when a person named Satoshi Nakamoto released a white paper called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. It's 
describing a new digital currency. Satoshi Nakamoto was not his real name. What? <laughs> but his true identity remains unknown. And that is truly one of the great mysteries of our time. Yeah. Um, as you will see or maybe already know, Bitcoin is quite a phenomenon. And the fact that the inventor of it has remained anonymous is, uh, is amazing to me. But anyway, so after he released his white paper in November 2009, in I'm sorry, 2000, November 2008, in January 2009, the code was released and the first Bitcoins were mined. So his digital currency, or his or their, they don't know if it's an individual or a group or what, but it was designed to correct some of the problems that uh, there had been attempted digital currencies before. And his, his white paper explained uh, the process and how he was going to address some of those problems. So let's talk about some of the features. First of all, one of the things that you'll always hear about Bitcoin and a lot of other crypto assets is decentralization. So what does that mean to you, Ross? So... Um... <laughs> Coming from the like, technical side of things, like, you know, let's say you have an account at a bank and you need to verify, oh, I need to verify a transaction. I want to send my mom uh, 100 bucks for her birthday. Well, that bank is a centralized entity that's got to verify that transaction. So me, the consumer or the sender of birthday gifts to my mom, <laughs> has got to rely on this bank to verify this transaction. I am sure. reliant on this bank. Right. You know? Yeah. And that is – I mean – and even going maybe a step beyond that, even in our money system, right? The U.S. dollars were, were based in the U.S. Same for every country that has its own currency. We're relying on a central bank to, uh, to back up the, the money, the fiat money it's called, the U.S. dollars. To, um, they, they print more money whenever they want. They can change the interest rates. Right. So, again, yeah. that's uh, centralization that exists with fiat currency, which is just kind of paper and coin money. So one of the yeah. main features of Bitcoin and that's really important is that it's decentralized. And that just means there's no one government, no company, no person, no organization that controls it. It's done by the public and anyone can participate. Yeah, and for all your software developer guys out there, this is similar to like open source code, right? Like anyone can contribute to the project as long as you know pass certain tests within the system, like you know, and, and it really is open source because anyone, as we're going to see, anyone can download the software and participate in the uh, in the Bitcoin blockchain. Yep. All right. So we talked about we mentioned the blockchain. We talked about decentralization. So how does that work? Well, that's where the blockchain comes in. And most people have heard of blockchain, and Bitcoin was really the first world application of a blockchain, and it's still Still going. We're still adding blocks to the chain every every ten minutes, as we'll hear. So the Bitcoin blockchain really is just a public ledger. You know, a ledger like every um, entity has to keep track of its accounts and debits and credits. It's a public ledger. So that means that all of the Bitcoin transactions are available to the public. Now encryption is used, so there's encryption keys that are used when someone sends or receives a transaction in Bitcoin, so you're not really using your name. They don't see that Ross sends something to Brian. They see a, uh, an encrypted code, sends it to uh, another encrypted code. But all these transactions are published on the blockchain, which is really thousands, 
The blockchain itself is thousands of copies of the same program. So all these different people have downloaded the program, and they're called nodes. So you got these yep. thousands of nodes that are verifying and confirming the transactions. And that's why it's decentralized. It's not just one bank. So, for example, a hacker could target that bank and get everyone's information. That is not possible on the on the blockchain because it's all decentralized, and there's thousands of, uh, of nodes that are operating it. So it's really that they're members of what's the Bitcoin community, and anyone can be a member by downloading a software and, and participating in it. Anything well, you want to add to that, Ross? Yeah, so – and and th this is, I guess, the segue into the next thing is like what's, what is verifying these transactions, you know? And this is called mining. And it's a lot of – every time I bring this up to someone talking about crypto, it's like, oh, I, so you're telling me I can just mine for coins and these coins appear out of nowhere. It's like, well, it's – it's a little more than that, and maybe mining is just a bad name for it. I don't know. I don't really like the name of mining. But anyway, mining is just verifying the next transaction within the chain. And well, be, let's, let me just before we get to the details of the mining. All right, I want to first. I'm <laughs> hyped up, man. It's I know, first man. episode. That's right. <laughs> I want to focus on like on still on the community participation, the nodes. I'm I'm pretty fascinated by this. Um, so the nodes, this community, they're the ones that are uh, essentially affirming every proposed transaction. So it goes to all of these nodes, and if something doesn't match, so somebody, you know, maybe an attempted fraudulent transaction, then it's just rejected. You know, all the nodes will see it, maybe the one or two or, how, you know, if they combine and try to uh, slip through a fraudulent transaction. All the others will see no. That's not. That doesn't match with what we have on our, on our node, and so um, we just it's just rejected, and that's called the consensus. Consensus. That's an important part, of the, important part of the of the Bitcoin system. I know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, they're added every. Uh, so new blocks are added every ten minutes, and this I mean roughly. It's on average. It's every ten minutes. So what is a block? So we got a block chain, right? So it's made up of blocks. What's a block? A block is just a bundle of transactions that have occurred in the past 10 minutes. So there's all these transactions going on. After approximately 10 minutes, you take all those transactions, you know, as somebody's buying a couch from um, some online uh, company that accepts Bitcoin, and you know, that's one of the transactions. You get those. There's thousands of them. They're all bundled into this block. So that's part of what is in a block. The biggest part, really, is, is all these transactions. So also in a block, you get the new Bitcoins, and we're going to talk about how many of those there are for each block. But you add the new Bitcoins to the block so that whoever wins the block, which Ross is going to tell you about, later in the mining, they get those Bitcoins. That's the reward. And then you also have the hash of the previous block. And then something else called a nonce. And that's a, that's a pretty cool word. Have you ever heard that word? Nonce. <laughs> it's fun to say, Brian. It I'll is, tell you that. <laughs> it's fun to say. Nonce. And nonce is just a number that can be changed. Okay? And then that's added to the block. So that's what we got. That's what makes up the block. You got these... Uh, 
bundle of transactions. You got the new Bitcoin that's rewarded to the winning miner, which we'll talk about. You got the hash of the previous block, and then you have the nonce. So before we get on to let Ross talk about the winning miner, uh, I think the hash and the nonce need a little explanation. So a hash is where the cryptography comes in. You know, this is crypto assets, cryptocurrency. The crypto is cryptography. And it's the hash, just not a fun word to say. There's, it ties back to something. I like it. So a hash is just a cryptographic uh, process that's pretty interesting and fascinating. You can play around with it. But, and we'll tell you about how to do that. A hash is just a process that takes almost any data input and create, creates a seemingly random output, which is just a string of numbers and letters. So for Bitcoin, they use SHA-256 protocol. And that really just explains the uh, size, uh, really, of the output number. It's all equal. So if your input could be anything, it could be the word, your name. It could be Brian. So you put in Brian and you hash it, you get a... a, a 256-byte, I think, uh, result, which is just a long string of letters and numbers. But every time you put in the same input, you get the same output. But if you change that input by anything, I mean, if I just put Brian in a period, totally changes the, the outcome, the, the hash. So this is where hashing is used. It's a really effective uh, encryption. And, and you can... See it for yourself. You can pull up any kind of website to see how it works. Uh, there's a lot of them out there. You can probably Google, you know, Shaw 256 uh, uh, hashing sample, and and you can try. You know, you can type in the uh, Declaration of Independence, change one letter, and you get a completely different output. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, and the name of the game here is just, you know, it's so so hard to figure out. This encryption, you know? Like it's, that, it's impossible. That, Essentially impossible. Yeah. So so you can um, – so the fact that you get – then that the every block includes the hash of the previous block. If you go in and you play with that and you kind of see how the hashes work, you'll see the significance of that. Because that means if there's any attempted changes to the prior blocks, boom, everybody knows it. Because you change, like I said, one, one period, one space, you get a completely different hash as a result. So if someone tries to tamper with any previous block, it's immediately apparent to everyone who runs a nonce, or who runs a, a node. Yeah, trying to get that randomly correct is just impossible. It is impossible. <laughs> you would have to change every block back to the Genesis block, which was the first block back in... 2009, um, just literally impossible. So that's why, you know, it's you can see the security of the of the system um, by looking at that fact. All right, so Ross, so at the end, so every block is created. You get all these transactions, and you um, uh, you add a reward of bitcoins, which we'll talk about the number uh, of the reward in a minute. Um, but how, who gets that? Who gets the reward and how does that work? And this is when we get to mining. So let's talk about the winning miner. Yeah, so, and, and maybe I'll take a step back for a second because, you know, to be a node in this system, um, let's talk about the costs associated with that. So 
to do all this cryptographic hashing, you know, it's super expensive. I mean, you're talking like tons of energy consumed at your house. Let's say you're running your computer to verify these net or verify these transactions. I mean, you're going to be just churning away. I mean, there's a lot of calculators out there that will show you like, okay, if I'm going to mine this cryptocurrency, what's my kilowatt hour from the power company to factor that in your total return on this. So, you know, it, it's it's not just like, oh, let me have a game running on my computer, you know, for example. I'm just going to spend a little bit of power and I'm going to get a ton of money back. No, it's not the case. You're going to spend tons of time churning away. So there's got to be incentive for you to even want to do this. You well, know? and the incentive, so, at least right now, and again, we'll talk about this, is 12.5 bitcoins. And, of course, the price of bitcoin um, in, in U.S. dollars or whatever currency is constantly changing. But let's say... If it were $10,000, just to make the calculation easy, right, at 12.5, you're getting $125,000. Yeah. So it's a nice reward. So, it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> All right. So, but you got to spend some money to get it, I guess, is what you're saying with the, uh, with the cost of the, of the electricity. Yeah. I mean, you need, I mean, factoring electricity to running your high-powered machine, building a high-powered machine, to even doing it. I mean, to be a node is very expensive, and you know, not to go too far into it, but um, just to shed some light on it. Now, really, if you're gonna let's say mine Bitcoin, you better be in a mining pool, which is basically a whole group of people powering their computers together to try and be one node, and then you know they divvy out that that twelve Bitcoin reward evenly throughout the system. So. I think back in the day, again, going back in the history, right, you know, in the early days, you could probably run it from your your desktop or your laptop and maybe have a shot at winning a, a reward. Yep. And and then, I, as I understand it, it went to the uh, GPUs. You had to get the graphic uh, interface, um, which had more computing power, um, and you could win some doing that, and then now it's just gone to you know, these huge I mean, facilities. Need, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, as a practical matter, a person like us can't just get on and go and start mining and win a reward, correct? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. it's pretty much impossible. <laughs> That's, it is now. For the average Joe now. I've got, um, I, I saw a, uh, uh, I guess a statistic that showed the number of, um, calculations that has to be done, you know, per minute or whatever in order to solve the puzzles. Well, let's talk, we haven't really talked about that. So the way to win a, a, a block and, and get to uh, announce the block and then get the reward associated with that block is by being the first to solve a puzzle. And as I understand it, essentially that means finding the a hash output that we talked about. So we mentioned that you, you have this nonce that's in every uh, block. And you t that nonce is something you can, you can vary. So essentially we have these programs, as I understand. You have these computer programs that run different, they, they vary that nonce uh, and just try it. So you, you, you change the nonce and then you add the other information in the block, like we said, like all of the transactions. And you get the hash output of that. And it has to be a certain number, start with a certain number of zeros. It's just a level of difficulty, essentially. Yeah. Is that right? And so you, you, 
these programs change the nonce and they're just doing it millions of times per second, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, to find one that ends in the, or, or that results in solving the puzzle, which is is certain number of zeros in the hash result um, as the first numbers on, on the hash. Um, so if you just do the hash, if you go to one of those hash programs and you, you put in different things, you'll see sometimes it'll start with a, a letter A or sometimes it'll start with a, you know, a number seven. But uh, so, so it's almost random where you can find a certain number of zeros. And I think depending on the difficulty, it can be up to six, seven, or eight zeros that just happen to start a hash when you manipulate the nonce. Yeah, and, so, and this is a good time, I, I would say, to bring up, you know, people always talk about all these cryptocurrencies, like, to keep this blockchain alive, people always talk about the energy consumption and how, I mean, I, I heard one thing, like, to power the um, Bitcoin network, it's using, like, all the power that New Zealand uses. Yeah, yeah certain, I mean, certain countries, yeah. And right. you can see all these nodes are competing to write the next block. Right. So that, and we can get into um, maybe... Slight, slight, not segue. I'm not segue into it, but proof of work versus proof of stake. That's going to play a little role into it later on. I, I, I think we'll get into that on later shows, right? Oh, but, yeah. So, but you mentioned it, so we should say this is called proof of work. The, yeah. The, the mining that's used by Bitcoin where you have to essentially solve the, the puzzles to get the hash that meets the certain requirements. That's called proof of work. There's other, there's alternatives to that, but Bitcoin is is set on proof of work, and essentially that's one of the criticisms is now that it's it uses so much energy, um, you know, that it's not you know environmentally friendly, but you know that's that's sort of sort of the yeah. way it is. And yeah. you know, you can see in this system, you know, you have I don't even know how many nodes are in it now, but tons of nodes. Thousands. Thousands of nodes. Tens of thousands. I oh, think, yeah. yeah. I mean, trying to solve and get the next block. So right. you're essentially having all these machines running at once right. competing for this next block. And, it is, and, it, and it's, so. it's, a fun, it's a matter of, number one, hashing power, how much absolute power you have, how many of these uh, sample random numbers you're running through per second. Yeah. That's part of it. And then the second part is just pure luck. I mean, there's sort of a lottery element yep. to it if you just get lucky to get the exact right nonce that that meets the solution then you you can win it and and then by winning it you then just publish it to all the other nodes and they can very very quickly run your number you say hey i came up with this nonce that that meets the requirements of the puzzle they all run it real quick and they're like yep you won you know so they publish that that then becomes part of the blockchain and the winning miner you know submits their their uh their code and um they get the uh, the winning bitcoin so that's that's and, sort of how that works and taking a step back this is all to just publish this public ledger of transactions right you know? right right <laughs> and then so again so then that becomes the next block and then the hash of that block which is all the information we talked about is hashed and that then becomes part of the next block. And so, again, that shows that that is how every block sort of incorporates every bit of information from all the prior blocks. And any kind of meddling with the prior blocks is going to be known by everyone. So it's a sort of the genius of the, of the system in a way. Yep. 
<laughs> All right, I've... let's talk about the reward. So from 2009 until November of 2012, the reward was 50 Bitcoins. Nice. <laughs> At now, nowadays, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, maybe not so many people battling for it, at least in the, <laughs> in the early years. So you got 50, the winner, uh, first one to solve the puzzle, got the 50 Bitcoins. In November of 2012, the first halving occurred, and that's like half, H-A-L-F, but it's a halving. It's called a halving, and the reward then was reduced from, 20, from 50 Bitcoins to 25. So from November of 2012, for the next approximately four years after that, um, the reward was 25 Bitcoins. So the second halving, hal halving, halving <laughs> occurred in July of 2016. And that cut the reward from 25 Bitcoins to 12.5 Bitcoins. And that's what cur the current reward is. What's uh, somewhat significant now, we're doing this in uh, this first podcast in late 2019, the next halving will occur in May of 2020, and then the reward will be cut by half again to 6.25 Bitcoins. And, and of course, for, like, I, I think the first thing I, when I heard about this, like, why would you even have, you yeah. know, why would you, why would you say, oh, now I only get 25 Bitcoins for all these transactions, but you can see that as a way of, like, you know, validating this currency. If you keep dishing out 50 Bitcoins, then it's never going to gain more value, as I understand it. Yes, so. and the, to me, this is getting on maybe the most important topic of Bitcoin value, and that is the supply. Yep. So Satoshi, in his white paper, limited the number of Bitcoins to approximately 21 million. I don't know if, I don't know if it's exactly, but it's approximately 21 million Bitcoins. So there is a limited supply, unlike U.S. dollars, unlike every other currency where the government can just print more. There is a limited supply that the Bitcoin community has and I believe always will enforce. So this is built in. You know, it is built in. Like, and, the, and, the, and the Bitcoin community is, is uh, <laughs> extremely strict on this. It ain't going to. You ain't going to be any more than 21 million. Yeah. So the question is, then, for those of you listening, where are we now? So we are, I mean, 2009, we're basically 10 years, roughly 10 years into the Bitcoin um, existence and the new Bitcoins being issued. As of now, and we are late 2019, early 2020, there are approximately 20. 18 million Bitcoins in circulation. 18 million out of 21 million are in circulation. That's over 85%. And I would like, I would put the argument out there, I would say less than 18 million. Because, I mean, you hear all the time on the news about these guys like, oh, I had so many Bitcoins on this flash drive and I lost them. Oh, so, I mean, I would throw less than. That's right. You know? No doubt. Early on, at least, you know, when people weren't really sure where this was going, um, they, there were a lot of Bitcoins that were lost. And so, you know, that makes really the, the supply even a little bit less than the, the actual number. But, but the point 
and the real takeaway from this is there is a limited supply. Yeah, and, definitely. And again, you can make an analogy to gold, right, to some other oil, I suppose, where there is a limited supply of it. You know, what happens? It becomes scarce, and then what happens? You know, yeah. The value goes up. The supply is limited, and we know it. You know, oil, well. You might discover yeah. some more. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to discover yeah. any more Bitcoin. Yeah. There, it's done. <laughs> it's, it's a 21 million uh, is the total. And, and, you know, the point to focus on now, I mean, this having, because of the nature of having, I guess, um, it's going to go on until I believe year 2140. Um, but, you know, toward the end, the last hundred years, just get it, there are going to be very, very few new Bitcoins being issued. And so what you're going to have then, and really, unlike all uh, fiat currencies issued by governments where, where there's inflation, some level of inflation yeah. almost always, with Bitcoin there's deflation and the thing about that is that means the value goes up. There's less supply, so there's more demand for less supply, and in theory, then the value is going to go up. So that's, I guess, leads us to where uh, I, I suppose our conclusions on what we think about Bitcoin. Where do you see Bitcoin going in the future, Ross? I mean, well, one one basic fact: if the supply is limited. It's got to go up, so I'm hoping my investment turns out. <laughs> yeah, and maybe we ought to both um, say we do own some Bitcoin, and, and as full disclosure, we we, we yeah. own Bitcoin. <laughs> we are we are staked in this, so. Um, but I mean, I think there's a lot of issues that got to be solved, right? Like, with the money in my pocket, um, you can almost plot it on a chart. You know, if it flies away in the wind, I mean, it's gone. The Bitcoin in a digital wallet, I mean, is saved. There's security, and it's backed, you know. But I think I think uh, it's just got to be, for me to see it as a currency, there's got to be ways for it to be, you know, the security is there. But I think ease of use has got yeah. to gotta get to me. That That's where I see it really being the tipping point of well, becoming a currency. I'm going to pipe know? in here with my thought that is I don't really see Bitcoin becoming a currency return. Placement. Um, I think just build into it with the ten-minute increments. You know, it, it's yeah. It, it'll be used. I think it can and will be more used as a as a currency on bigger transactions. But I don't see it as ever being a currency they're going to use to go in a convenience store and buy, uh, you know, a beer and a beef jerky. Um, but. That doesn't mean, and, and so then we'll get into some of the altcoins that attempt to address that on, on later shows. That and other things, yeah. Yes, but what I see with Bitcoin is it becoming a, a store of value. And you've seen this a little bit in countries where they've had uh, issues with their currency, like in Venezuela, um, some countries like that, when their currency just becomes almost useless or inflation is so high that it's losing value constantly, you see a big jump in use of Bitcoin in those countries. And I think a similar thing could happen in more developed countries like the U.S. and Europe and Canada and places like that where even in a, in a recession-type environment when, when 
investors start looking for safe harbors, and they've traditionally gone to gold, um, I can see that being, I can see Bitcoin being a replacement for that. So a store of value where someone will just buy it knowing that because of the limited supply, its value is, uh, is likely to go up, that, it, that, that could be a big uh, impetus for its, its value. Oh, that's a good thought. I have actually never thought of it that way. That's just, that's pretty cool. Because I mean, you know, in the U.S., the dollar is so solid that maybe that's why we don't see as much use. The dollar solid. Like, it, well, that's true. I mean, but you know, we're due. We're overdue for a recession. I haven't had one in in ten years, which is almost unheard of. So yeah. when the recession comes, you know, what do people do? They look. Where do I put my money? Where I can get some value out of it? And if it's not going to be in stocks. And bonds are going to be uh, questionable, which they have been lately. Um, where do you go? And I just think uh, uh, Bitcoin will be a, a possible venue for people to park their money. And when, when they do, demand just goes up and then, of course, price goes up. It kind of brings up a funny aspect of, uh, of the whole Bitcoin community. There became a term created out of this when, um, when Bitcoin had its last big drop. So in 2017... Price went through the roof, got up to twenty thousand. Oh, that was a great summer. Yeah, <laughs> which was which was <laughs> nutty. That's uh, when you got into it, wasn't it? No, unfortunately, no. But oh. <laughs> in in twenty eighteen, then you know it saw a big plunge. But s- some um, on some public forum, someone uh, had a typo where they said I'm. Ho-, they meant to say I'm holding my Bitcoin through this down through the big downturn in twenty eighteen, but they said. Hodling, they misspelled it. H O D L. I'm hodling. So now you got the term in the Bitcoin for people who just buy and hold, which is I'm, I put myself in that camp. Um, but we're now hodlers, and so instead of holders, we're hodlers. Hodle. So, yeah, I am. I am hodling Bitcoin, and will do so uh, certainly until I see the effects of the having. In, in 2020, and those and, and the effects of the having have been traditionally in the past two times where there's been a having have been delayed. So, I plan on holding mine for at least uh, six months, maybe 12 months after the having, see what happens, and then of course, then that'll depend on what happens with the price. What's what's your strategy on that? Um, well, I kind of. Maybe I'm going in your your world. I'm kind of dipping into your world with this a little bit. But I always like the Warren Buffett thing. You know, if it dips, buy more. I mean, buy you're, getting, you're getting a discount. So I don't know. Hold and like just like you've said, there's there's like with this having, I mean, it almost seems clear that the value is going to go up. I mean, if you're limiting the rate at which the supply is given out, yep. I mean, it's got to go up. That seems pretty basic to me. So. You would think um, so. You never know with all this. And, yeah, that. But you never know. Yep. I mean, this just brings me. I know we're running out of time, but the 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 story that I always think of on this is the first. What's the least published or you know people talk about as being one of the first Bitcoin transaction is the guy who bought two pizzas, and I oh, believe yeah. he spent something like a hundred bitcoins for two pizzas, and you think of that guy. <laughs> I mean, now, looking back, if he'd held on to those, you know, at one point, I don't know, 100 times 20,000. Uh, oh, know, yeah, at the height, yeah. I mean, a couple million, or even if he just held on to them now, you know, it's it's it, half of that still 
ton of money that he ate in pizzas. But oh, there's even a guy I worked with that started um, mining. I mean, this was like 2012, 2013. I thought he was crazy, to be honest with you, when he was telling me about it. Oh man, I mine these bitcoins. Like man, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. So he was winning some. Oh yeah, I mean, wow. this was back then, and maybe it's maybe it wasn't Bitcoin, maybe it was something else. But um, I mean, him and his friends were just buying, you know mountain bike parts so yeah he had yeah. a sweet mountain bike but i, I know he'd rather something else <laughs> but now <laughs> you're looking back you probably spent two million dollars on that mountain bike yep all right well we're off i think we might need to wrap up our first episode here yeah that is bitcoin and to our listeners i will be telling you we will be referring back to bitcoin constantly because it is the leader it is the uh i was gonna say mac daddy but yeah it is the original <laughs> Um, uh, cryptocurrency and every subsequent kip- cryptocurrency has uh, has Bitcoin and, and Satoshi Nakamoto to thank for its existence. So we'll be, re- be referring back to that, but um, I think uh, hopefully that gives everyone a, a good general overview of Bitcoin. Yeah, that's a good foundation, Brian. All right, <laughs> and everybody remember, we are The The Crypto Crypto Masters. Masters. We'll see you next time. Thanks.